Praise the Lord. If you would turn in your Bibles to Proverbs twenty six twelve. Proverbs twenty six twelve, please. All right. And as you would this morning, as I begin to um, minister this message, um, I'm going to take my time on it. Because this is a uh, message and a subject that the people that it is directed to won't receive it. The message is directed at a group of people that are, their M.O. is they won't hear it. They won't ever admit it. They won't ever seek counseling. Um, They're celebrated in our society, celebrated in our churches. They're the most popular people in the room, and they're causing destructive behavior to themselves and everybody around them. And I've got to knock that mountain down today. I've got to be, and don't don't celebrate this one. Now, this one's not a good one. Yeah, I don't really even want the celebration of it. I've got to be like a war club. And I've got to be very clear what this is, because like I said, the personality and the person will swear that it's not them. And they'll swear that it's everybody else. And this doesn't mean that the other people around them don't have problems. It just means that you're a bigger part of the problem than you realize. And this may be my only chance to express what it is. And I expect you guys in the back, you got to listen to this. Because everybody's affected by it. A large percent of the population suffers from it. Okay, and, and if you're not suffering from the condition, you're with somebody that does suffer from it. And, and you're going to suffer more than they are. Okay, and you say, man, this is terrible. What is it? It is terrible. And if I can stress enough today that it's terrible, then maybe we can minister healing. My message is calling all winners. Calling all winners. I mean, here's a winner. Let's be honest. I'm a winner, man. I, everything I do, I win. Some people, some here I know would say that. Okay, I will say that. I suffer from this condition. And if God hasn't shattered me a million times, my problem is I've gotten up a million times too. And if God doesn't find a way, and I I could show you all through the Bible where God tries to shatter people over this condition that I'm going to talk about today, over and over and over, this condition just has to be destroyed. Because if it's not, people will be miserable. You'll be miserable. You'll never do anything for God. You will appear to do everything for God. You'll appear to be the one that's doing the thing. You'll be the one that's called the mover and the shaker. You'll be the one that's called the leader. You'll be the one that said, man, he gets things done. She gets things done. Call them. That'll be you. 
but you won't do a thing for God. And so I've got to somehow make you understand that you are a part of the problem. And there's a wound that comes along with this. I'm going to explain what it is, but just me saying the words causes a wound in your heart that you're going to hate me. In fact, this message, I'm going to really highly recommend. Share this message on, on, on Facebook. Share the message. If I have to, I'll give them the message because whoever gives them the message, they're going to be angry at. They're going to hate. They're going to say negative things about the messenger because it's going to become too close to home. They're going to bite my hand when I try to help because that's part of the condition. That's part of the wound. So let me read 26.12. It says... Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than there is for him. See a man who's wise in his own eyes. There's more hope for a fool than there is for him. This condition is so serious that it says there's more hope for a fool than the person that's wise in his own eyes. And so this is the danger. Let me read you another one. Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, there comes... Hold on, I'm going to read from a contemporary English version here. Too much pride can put you to shame. It's wiser to be humble. Proverbs 13.10 from the New Living Translation. Pride leads to conflict, but those who take advice are wise. See, a lot of you are having conflict in your life because you're a proud person. I'm a proud person. Somehow you're going to have to figure out you are too. And it's causing conflict in your marriage. But here's the problem. The proud person is almost always paired up to the opposite. So remember when I talked about the victim... And the victimizer, well, something about this condition of being a proud person needs a supply from a person who's a victim. So there will often be in a relationship, and I'm talking about an unhealthy relationship, one who's always wrong and one who's always right. One who holds the superior position always and one who holds the lesser position always. And the one's always right, and the one's always wrong. The one is a valley, the one is a mountain. And somehow, when I preach a message about the valley, guess what happens? All the victims come out of everywhere and say, wonderful message, great message, awesome message. I know I need help. I'm messed up. I always make mistakes. I'm always messing up. I'm always the problem. Some of you recognize already that I've been a part of this, and I've been, I've, I've, I've been at the, the the bad end of this. And so there's always this valley that is really humble and really is too low. God's got to try to lift that victim, and boy, I tell you, the mountains. Like, man, you know what? That person that's with me needs to hear that. 
But here's the truth. A lot of the behaviors that they have is because of you. You're always putting them down. You're always saying they're not good enough. You have a list of rules that you couldn't even live by. And your way of saying I love you is, you met my demands. And you know the most likely place to see those personalities? Ministry. The personality I'm going to talk about, pastors, CEOs of companies, politicians, people that everybody looks at and says, give me answers. Your, your words are more important than ours. And so as we begin to look at this, man, I've got to break this down because pride is destroying churches. It's destroying families. And get this, if pride were a disease, let's say that every bit of pride that seeped into our heart was a disease. What would you physically look like? Like if I were eaten up with pride, physically what would I look like right now? Because there are a lot of other conditions that you could tell they've got a sickness. You know, if I stood here today and said, my goodness, I've got a problem, I've committed adultery repeatedly. Oh, they would say that's shameful. Oh, wow, that's awful. Or if I, you know, pornography were my issue, oh, that's terrible. That's an awful thing. I've been greedy. And I've been so greedy my whole life. That's awful. Pride. And all of a sudden, here comes the adulation. Man, he pulled himself from the bootstraps. Man, he did great things. Man, he had nothing. He came from nothing. Look what he's done with us. Man, he speaks great words when he speaks. Oh, what a great speaker. Man, he has wisdom. He has wisdom. up. It's destroying your relationships. People around you, you, you begin to not even be able to love anymore. I'm going to show you how this happens. And it begins to, this pride just begins to eat away at real love. And it begins to destroy the people around you. And here's the trademark of the condition. You don't care about their condition. It becomes about you. Now the pride that I'm talking about <clears throat> has a word in psychology. It's called narcissism. And I hate using Greek mythology for anything. Because Greek mythology is not just myths. A lot of it is based in demonology and a lot of false religion. And you know, now we look at it as a myth. But there was a time it was false religion and you know, a lot of really bad things. But it really, because it's the um, psychologic ter psychological term, you know, when you look at behaviorisms of people, it's called narcissism. And it really is the best definition of what it is and why they behave the way they do. And church, we've got to figure out why they behave the way they do and how, and how it is they're going to behave. Because here's the thing. I talked about weight being on your back. The narcissist will put so much weight on your back you can't even live life. They will make you miserable. 
They will make themselves miserable. They won't be able to have real love because you're always trying to earn their approval. How many here have ever, and you could be a narcissist yourself because of that behavior, but how many have ever strived to win somebody's approval? And I'm addressing both today because the one who was under it a lot of times becomes it. I'm just telling you the truth here. The victim and the victimizer are tied together. And, and Mike was talking today. Mike, you, what you, God was putting in your heart all week is what God's been putting in my heart all week. Mike said, when you pray, do you say, God, I'll be good so I can get this? And see, the training and the taskmaster that you've been under has you believing that I have to earn something from God, and God really just wants you to love Him and wants you to know that you're loved. There's no set of rules that you have to do for God to finally say, I love God doesn't say, um, you've, you've, you've accomplished my rules, so now I love you. But don't we believe He does that? If we've been conditioned by this behavior all of our life, right? And some of you, I'm just telling you right now, I hope for the first time in your life, see, here's the thing. For years now, God has been showing me this in my life. And for years, little pieces here and there that I didn't understand that God was doing. In fact, you look at my Bible, I spent years studying Proverbs and trying to and almost every scripture I read today has been highlighted from 20 years ago and read a hundred times. And little pieces here and little pieces there, God's crushed me and, and said, man, that's not right and that's not right and this is not right. And I never understood why he kept pressing those areas and crushing me in those areas. And then he said, well, wow, that's an awesome word, man. Where do you get those words? You have such wisdom. But see, I've got to sit under this for a whole week of teaching. You just have to listen to it for an hour. But God has to crush me all week with it. God has to say, man, you hurt people. And so somehow I've got to get you to understand you've used people. You've used people in your life. You've used people that you were supposed to love the most and they became your tokens. It was more about you than it was about caring about their day. They tried to talk to you about their day and you didn't listen. Because it was more about you. They tried to tell you about your, their life, but because they didn't meet your demands, you never listened to what they said. You couldn't love them because they couldn't meet the commands. And the problem is, you probably had the same problem when you were little. And so what God wants to do is bring healing to all of us. He wants you to understand why you were under the oppression, but He wants to set you free of making people meet your demands. God wants this whole narcissist, this whole part of pride, arrogance, conceit. In fact, I had another real good one I wanted to. He just wants this conceit to be recognized and dealt with. Because here's the thing. The foundation of all this type of pride is, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. There's not an equality with me and you. 
somehow what I have to say is more important than what you have to say. What I believe is more important than what you believe. And I'm always going to stay in this position of superiority. And they can never be in that position because you're so afraid and you've protected yourself so much and you're so insecure that you can't give that seat up to them and you can't give that seat up to God. And because of you sitting in that seat of superiority, God can't change you. God can't help you love somebody. Now here's the story. Like I said, I hate this. I'm reading Greek mythology. Narcissus had all these, had, had a person chasing him that was in love with him. He's running through the woods. He'd left so many people behind that had loved him. He was known for his beauty. He was a great hunter. I hate I wish they wouldn't name that scientific term that, but I have to explain what the term means. So he's running through the woods, and they lured him to a lake. And Narcissus could never love anybody, because Narcissus was too beautiful. Nobody could ever measure the beauty that Narcissus had. Nobody could ever live up to it. Nobody could ever measure it. And The narcissistic personality has trouble ever finding love because nobody ever measures up to your standard of love. Your twisted standard of love, nobody could ever live up to it. So he runs and they lure him and say he must pay for the things he's done to people with his narcissistic self-love. So he goes to a lake and he looks in the lake and he sees a reflection. He says, finally, one that I can love. He doesn't even realize it's And he sits on the bank and he just looks. He's really thirsty. And was there actually to get a drink of water. So beautiful. My image is so pretty. He just sat there and he looked and he was frozen. He couldn't, uh, couldn't believe he'd finally found what he'd been looking for his whole life. Someone beautiful enough to love me. And he stood there and beheld his beauty so long he died of thirst. You say, well, that's ridiculous. Here's the thing. You're trying to make everybody around you look like you. So you can finally love somebody that's as beautiful as you. You're going to believe like me. You're going to look like me. Sound like me. You're going to be a cookie cutter version of me. And there you are looking at the person who might be a son, might be a daughter, might be a husband, might be a wife. You look in their eyes and all you can see is beauty of you. Be like me. And you stand there and you behold your beauty so long, you lose them. You can't love them because they haven't met your standard. And so this narcissistic love 
controls all of your relationships because you're always trying to control other people. How can I make them more like me? How can I make them act like me? In fact, here's another big one. How can their behavior bring glory to my reputation? And that becomes more important than them. You understand? I told you this is not a shouting one. I'm not offended. I don't want anybody shouting in this. Because it's so ugly. It's so ugly and it hits so close to home to all of us. We just have to really pray. God, please don't let me. Don't let me have this. It's worse than a disease. It really is. And so everybody has in their childhood this narcissism, this pride. Pride is the biblical word, the biblical foundation, the scientific term they now use as narcissism. So I'll use them interchangeably because pride, we get confused. Uh, the other words in the Bible are conceited or arrogant. Okay? So when I say pride, I'm saying conceited, arrogant, or narcissistic. And there's a certain amount you naturally have. And they're positive. Like, man, I want to go out and do a good job. I want to go out and take care of myself, take care of my finances, take care of my home. I want my kids to behave the right way. I want them to live the right way. I want a righteousness. That's not what I'm talking about here. This is something that begins to develop into a very negative uh, character flaw. Because the Bible's not talking about that here, is it? It's talking about some type of pride that goes beyond living right for God, righteousness, behaving right, all those things. It, it, whatever it was, um, the Pharisees had it in, 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 in droves. And they had it in abundance. And I'll be honest with you, that's what got Jesus killed. Is because he would wound their pride... And there's a term I'm going to say for this wounding. And every time he wounded them, they wanted to kill him. And there were no boundaries to stop them from crucifying him. So because he kept insulting their pride and insulting the thing that they had built, the false uh, thing, that because he kept assaulting them, they said, you're going to die. And if it were possible, I would die preaching this message. If I were, as a group, it's okay. But if I were to individually go to the proud person and tell them these things, there would be murder in a lot of hearts. Don't tell me that. And here's the reason why. Because this negative trait grows out of some pretty dysfunctional things. Okay, let me read some of the reasons it grows. Now let me also make you understand there's what's called narcissistic or pride traits, and then there's what's called the disorder. Okay, the traits are just a large part of the population have narcissistic traits. Okay, it grows out of your childhood. Some grow out of it. Some never grow out of it. Okay, but then there's what's called the disorder. And the disorder is extremely serious and less than 1%, they say, the population. But here's the thing. The disorder is growing at a pace like they've never seen. Okay, when you, if you ever listen to a crime show, you begin to see, they'll, they'll always say, very typically, this person had a 
narcissistic disorder or a trait there that was very extreme. And what that means is you eventually get to the point in the disorder where one to maybe 4% out of the population becomes sociopaths because they care so little about other people and they have such a small amount of love, they just have no ability to have a conscience toward how it hurts somebody else. So what they say is, I can do whatever I want to please me, and I literally have no concern about anybody else's well-being. I have no love in me. And that's a very serious condition that causes a lot of crime. I'll break into this house, get what I want. I'll kill them if I feel like it. I have no conscience because I'm so narcissistic that I don't care. I'll have an affair with anybody I want to at any time because I really don't care about that person and their kids. You see that it gets to extreme levels. But right now I'm just talking about the traits. Don't say, well, wait a minute. I got those traits, so I'm like, I have the disorder. The disorder is extreme, and if it's unchecked and, and, and it's something that's just rampant, it could turn into that. But the traits are what most people have, and God wants to change us. The Bible says it's a character flaw, and it's something God wants to change us so we can love our families. We love people, okay? And here's the thing is it's hard to love anybody if narcissism is in your heart, this pride, this conceit, okay? Here's some of the things that cause it, and you'll see how it naturally grows in you and me. Severe emotional abuse in childhood. So here's what happens. If I've got severe abuse in childhood, how's that going to affect me? It's never going to happen again. Never going to happen again. I'm going to be so in control of my environment that that will never happen again. How many can see this starting to develop? And you get tight reins on your environment. And your family might grow up in a really nice home without that abuse, but you're so tightly in control of that environment because of the way you were abused that you begin... Uh, It begins to be more about how you raised yourself than it is about loving your own kids. Like, I have to be this way because I went, it's almost like post-traumatic stress disorder. I had so much strain and so much stress when I was a kid, and I've done these things to survive, now I'm going to put that on you. And it may not even be about the love for the kids anymore, it may be about what I went through when I was a kid, and I'm putting that on you now. Do you understand? But this excessive control, because that's what I had to do to survive. Unpredictable neglect by your caregivers in childhood. Excessive pampering or praise in childhood. you understand? If you're excessively prayed, now here's the hard thing about it. Here's who's susceptible. Your family is dysfunctional going through a hard time. Who do they all turn to and look at? Whoever that is, you're in danger. Well, I've got an ideal. Man, that is the best ideal ever. You're our leader. Well, I've got another ideal. You've got the greatest ideas. Your social group. Man, we all follow him. He's got the greatest ideas. Well, here's what happens when you have so many good ideas and you're so talented at so many different things. Man, narcissists, 
has a beauty that nobody has. You understand? If you're a pastor and you speak a message and you don't know how to handle praise, this is what happens. Your pastor will become narcissistic. He'll get up on a platform, and and I'm going to tell you something, church. You did a bad thing to Pastor Rod. I'm just telling you, you did a bad thing. I won't stand on your pedestal. You praised him too much. And I love him. But when pastors start getting adulation, do you know at one point, he was saying they need me. I'm just being honest with you. They need me. And you begin to say, we need you. We need you. You need me. I can't rest. I can't sleep. I can't do anything because you need me. You need me. I am your Savior. I am, and I know it hurts. But this is how narcissism begins. Your mom says, oh, that one son, he's the best. He's the best. And all of his ideals are the best. Stand up in the... And, in fact, financial, they say, is the one realm where narcissists thrive. In fact, they look for narcissists because they'll take chances other people won't. They have an arrogance that other people don't, and they can lead financial organizations. And it says when E.F. Hutton talks, oh, people listen. Here's the problem. When you talk, what's he have to say? Herod stood there and they said, man, he isn't speaking like a man. He's speaking like a God. And right at that moment, God said, that's the thing that's testable to me. God says a proud look is an abomination to me. But we don't think it's that bad because that's great people, right? You know that your president's narcissist. Here's the problem. Narcissists stand up for a lot of good causes, right? In fact, almost every politician in the last... Uh, election was narcissistic. And they make a speech and they say, man, that's not the speech of a man, that's the speech of a God. And so God's got to find a way. One of the greatest narcissists in history was the jewel of all kingdoms, Nebuchadnezzar. And it says, right when the words were in Nebuchadnezzar's mouth of his greatness, he said, look at the kingdom that I have made. And God had already told him, I gave the kingdom to you. Right as he spoke it, God struck him and he became like an animal. He had to crawl around in a field for years. He had his condition where you think you're an animal. God had to humble him. And I think he probably ended up getting saved. I think he probably gave his heart to the Lord. Him and Daniel became friends. But he struck him down. And man, you say, well, what does God do when this happens? God needs... You as a leader, you're obviously a strong leader, but every time somebody says you're great, you begin to think you're beautiful. In fact, title of my sermon, I didn't even say it. No, I didn't say the other part. Calling all winners, beware of your beauty. Calling all winners, beware of your beauty. And so God needs leaders, but that leader can't have any narcissism. There's got to be a check on that leader's narcissism. When they try to put the pedestal up, he's got to firmly kick it down. 
Do you understand that? And God in the Bible, you say, man, well, where, where does this play out in the Bible? Daniel was, a, or Joseph was a great son. Oh, Joseph, you're the best. Jacob was like, that kid is the best kid I've ever had. He was so favored for, by dad that all the brothers hated him. Look at the jacket. Coat of many colors. Why do you think the Bible pointed that out? That he had this colorful coat that the dad only made for him. When they, when they faked his murder, they put the blood on that coat and gave it back to dad and said, your son's been killed. Hated him. Here was a good kid with way too much praise. And he began to prophesy. God said, I'm going to do something in your life, Joseph. And one day, I'll elevate you and your brothers will actually come to you. Joseph's like, that's right. That's right. Do you see the narcissism that could build there? But God knows something. God knows how ugly and destructive it is. If Joseph doesn't go through something, I guarantee you he kills his family on the spot when they come back to Egypt to meet him. God puts him in a dirty dungeon. You, you say, well, it's probably a good facility. It's probably like our current facilities. Dirty bugs, rats, didn't eat well. They forgot about him. Just forgot about him. And do you know the humbling that had to happen to that kid? Because God really wanted to use him. God really wanted to use him. Moses, man, what a God. Everything about his birth. He's such an awesome man of God, this Moses. And God's going to call him to go deliver all of God's people, born in the palace under royalty. Moses, you're training in. Egypt really is just to write the books of Moses and to know how to deliver them out of Egypt. You're nothing special. Well, God, I'm ready. Let's go do it. Well, hold on, Moses. Go to the backside of the desert for 40 years first. Why would God do it? Narcissism. Pride that will destroy a leader. So God takes him to a backside of a desert with a guy named Jethro. Wow. So who will be helping me with my accommodations? Jethro. <laughs> You're a great man, Moses. <laughs> Enjoy. Do you understand why God does these things? You say, well, why, why am I going through this? Why are these storms hitting me so hard? Why are all these things happening to me? Because God doesn't want you to have the evil scourge of that pride and narcissism. Because He really wants to use you. He really wants to use me. I look back at life and I think, man, I so understand why God destroyed me so many times. I can remember many times saying, why did you do that, God? Look. It's like a storm came through and there's debris all over the ground in my yard. I mean, it came outside and everything's just destroyed. Everything that didn't have any uh, strength or an integrity to it, the storm just wiped out and it's all sitting in the yard. I say, God, look what you did to my life. All my pride and everything is sitting all over the yard now. It's been destroyed. I built all this. People looked at me and they said, man, you're a great person. 
You're great with money. You're great in business. You're great in your wisdom. But now all my wisdom's been wiped out. Everything that I thought was wise about me, I look ignorant now. I look like I'm not even any good, God. Why did you do that to me? Because that wasn't God's building. You were proud. And you were destroying people around you, but you look good. And because you look good, you didn't care about what everybody else thought. And so God loves you enough to not allow you to do that. God doesn't want you to be narcissistic. And I went all off my notes. Wow. Oversensitive temperament at birth. Genetic. uh, Why is it difficult for someone to live with a narcissist? It's challenging to live with a narcissist since chronically they control and exploit your behavior is at the core of their personality. And over time, narcissists have a knack for generating exasperation in those who simply want to relate on an equal and respectful level. What does that mean? It's called narcissist supply. Narcissist supply. That means I need you to look at me as your superior. So if you keep messing up, I'm always here to fix it. Do you understand? My pride is so great. My words are so smart. I sit in this seat of superiority. So you keep messing up and you keep coming to me. And then the person who keeps messing up feels more and more and more and more like they're a misfit. More and more and more like they're nothing. More and more like they can't do anything right. And you sit in the seat of superiority, and they'll never be equal with you. Do you understand how this works? And some of us who are winners didn't care about the feelings of those who weren't winners like us. How many know I'm telling the truth? Narcissistic abuse is a form of emotional and psychological abuse that is primarily inflicted by individuals who have a narcissistic personality disorder. This is not the traits disorder, but we have the traits. There's going to be slight amounts of abuse, right? Anyone can be self-centered, but what makes a person a narcissist? We refer to a narcissistic personality. We acknowledge that self-absorption is not just present, but it is the defining feature of their personality. Even when they appear helpful or friendly, narcissists eventually illustrate their good behavior as a self-serving hook at the end of it. Think about this. I wrote down here, narcissists are often complimented, adored, and put on a pedestal. There can be a blur of motives for even your Christian behaviors. What's the motivation 
for your Christian behavior. Mike, I think you said it. When we pray, am I praying because I love God and I love people? Or am I praying because I'm trying to look like the best Christian? I'm trying to make sure God knows I'm the best. So how about this charity? More charity has been done by narcissists. And there was no love there. In fact, uh, what does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 13? If I do all these things, even give my life, give all this charity, but I don't have love. Why does he say that unless there's not a large group of narcissists who are more than willing to donate charity? God's going straight to the motives here. Why do I do all my charity work? Is it because I truly love the people that I'm working with or I'm just the biggest narcissist in the room? In fact, you want to see a bunch of narcissists go to a sporting event. This is one of the things that's changed me over the years. I find myself trying to retrain my sons because all sports is a lot of times is just a bunch of narcissist parents trying to see who the biggest narcissist is. And I began to hate it over the years because when you win and you're finally at the top, all the other narcissists hate you. When you become the best narcissist and the most powerful narcissist, they hate you. Because narcissists in every situation compete against each other. They subconsciously walk in a room and know who everyone is. Yep, you're one, you're one, you're one, you're one. That's fine. I'm just telling you the truth here. And so I'm finding myself, my son played his last game in the sectional, he got put out. And I'm starting to, to be like, you know, I love my kids a lot more than I love basketball. And so he's in the tunnel and he's upset, and I know I'm, I shouldn't say this because it's embarrassing He's, he's, he's madder than a hornet because they lost. And I just came in and I said, man. I said, I don't I, I, you know. You're more important than basketball. I'm trying to explain to them. I'm not that way. I don't care about the basketball. I care about you. I care about my kids. I don't care about winning. He just doesn't doesn't understand, I don't think. I mean that. You understand, church? We can lose what we think we love because we're trying to be the best. Traits. I went over a lot of them. Less and less empathy. Unwilling or willing, unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings of other people. I'm so driven that I, I don't even notice that this is hurting you. Have you ever been there? I'm, I know it because it's quiet. And nobody's falling asleep on me. I'm driving so hard against you, I don't even have time to love you. They have a grandiose sense of self-importance. They will even exaggerate their achievements and talents in order to be recognized as superior without even having the commensurate achievement. They may not have even achieved anything, 
But they'll exaggerate it because in their mind, they have to be the best. How many have ever built that structure that I've got to be the best to survive? How many have ever done that? I've got to be the best to survive. God's got to see me as the best. I've got to be the best. I've got to accomplish. And in fact, I put a word down. What did I call that? I'll see you here in a minute. Number three, they have a sense of entitlement. They have unreasonable expectations of people. They automatically believe that people should live by their codes. You have to live by what I tell you. That's different if we're trying to impart a way to live that God says is pleasing to Him. But this is, I'm going to write a set of rules and you're going to follow my rules. And they may not have anything to do with God. You write through, that's what the Pharisees did. We will write new rules and we'll hold them over you, and I can't even keep those rules myself. Um, They're exploitive of other people to meet their own end. Often envious of others and believe other people are envious of them. They require excessive admiration. They show arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. They believe that they are special and unique and can only be understood by those who are associated with them are also special people. Let's go a lot of ways. Adolf Hitler was one of the biggest in the history of the world. He's a sociopath. You can believe that you're better than your wife because you're a man. I'm just telling you, that's this pride. And the woman will always feel she's inferior to you Or the woman can believe that she's superior to the husband. And she'll always maintain that position of superiority. And some will call that a Jezebel spirit. Both are false balance. If you're making somebody feel less, you say, well, I'm greater than a kid. Are you? So you say, I've got so much more wisdom because I'm older and I'm smarter that you can make the kid feel like they're less. All they are is a, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, all of my kids at every age were smarter and better and more had more wisdom than I did at that age. But I can sit in a superior seat and act like I know more than them. And you can make them feel inferior when they're actually doing pretty good with their life. I'm going to go long today, I'm sorry. If you need to leave, leave. But I've got a lot to cover here. I may never get another chance to open this up. So if you have to leave, I'm not going to be offended. I promise. They're preoccupied with fantasies of success, power, brilliance, beauty, or love. Ideal love. How many think this, our society is just permeated with this self-love? So we've got to be careful, church. Narcissists do not consider the pain they inflict on other people, nor do they give credence to other people's perceptions. They simply do not care about thoughts and feelings. Their conflict, um, don't expect them to listen, validate, understand, or support. This is how it is. This is how it's going to be. I'm right. You're wrong. 
Everybody see this? They will be exploitive to meet their own ends. That's what I want to touch on. How many have ever heard the term trophy wife? This is a purely narcissistic term. That means I'm going to make you, they're called narcissistic trophies. That means when you look at my family, it's going to bring glory to me. So when you look at my wife, she has to look like my narcissistic trophy. Well, what about her feelings? You see this, well, you've got to be this way because the church wants you to be this way. Or you've got to be this way because my parents want you to be this way. Or you've got to be this way because I want you to be this way. Well, what is their opinion about how they want to live their life? Well, your opinion's not important because I'm the one in the superior seat. And they have what's called narcissistic trophies. I didn't make it up. Their children become narcissistic trophies. Well, that's my son. Well, which one? That? Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, he, uh, he um, does real well in school. He's real, well, he's real good at sports. You know, he, and you start naming off all the things they've done, okay? And so your kids become trophies. Like, they only exist to, to show people how great you are. You understand? I quit loving my kids a long time ago. Now they're my narcissistic trophies. They bring glory to me. Well, how about loving them? Let's get rid of the narcissism and let's just love them. Some of the behaviors of a narcissist. Number one, I've already mentioned, they have to be truly superior. So if you're superior to other people in any way, maybe it's color, maybe it's religion, maybe it's male, female. Let me know that there's a lot of environments where people believe that they're in the superior seat. And God wants to take that narcissism away. You're not better than anybody. Why are you better than anybody? Why can you not talk with this person or that person? Why are you better? Jesus was lowly. He gave an example that he was able to interact with everybody because he didn't take a superior seat. Number two. One of their habits is they want the persons that are around them in relationships to give power to them. You're going to do it this way. Well, why? Because I said so. Well, can I live my own life? No, you're always going to feel my pressure. Number three. They invalidate other people. People will do good things around them and they won't celebrate their accomplishment, they'll say, finally, you met my standard. Well, maybe celebrate them. Maybe they did better than you, you could have ever done. Celebrate them. You know, some people won't celebrate anybody's accomplishment because it's you've been worthless your whole life and now you finally did something that met my standard. Good job. And do you see where that pride's in there? They constantly take credit for themselves 
accomplishment that the people around them do. Well, my church only does well because I'm the pastor. You understand that's pride. Well, of course they do well. You know, they were under my ministry. You know how many times we brag about ourselves and we try to take glory of things other people even do? In fact, how about this? We take glory from the things that God's done and we didn't have any part of it. Boy, that's narcissism. God's done this in your life, done all this to change you, and all you can do is say how great you are. And God made you something. They like to play the blame game. So you have a family, and one of them is a narcissist, and one of them always messes up. So it's like, how did you do this time? How did you mess up again? How am I going to fix all this again? And there's always a blame of you doing something wrong, and it's always causing you problems. And never is it any part of us that you did it again. You did it again. They like the gotcha game. Like if you come in and you're trying to hold them to adhere to your standards that you wrote, and you're putting on their life, and you're pressuring them, and then they mess up, or they get mad, or they get upset, or they blow up because they're tired of living under your heavy hand, then you say, gotcha. See how out of control you are? See how you blew up there? See? Not many have the self-control. I'm telling you, I didn't write this. This is the game that they said a pride, proud person plays. I'm gonna, they almost like it when you get mad. Gotcha. One day, you'll sit in my seat. You'll see how I maintain my composure all my life. There's no humility there. Yeah, they may get mad more than you. You may just hide it better. You may be sneakier about it. I don't know. But you're definitely not humble. How many know that I'm preaching to myself too? You can't exclude yourself from a message. Don't ever say somebody else's message is what I'm preaching. Okay? Apply it to yourself. Here's a big one. Have ever heard the term gaslighting? This is something you see in politics a lot. There was a movie in the 40s. It was about a husband and a wife. And every time... She would come home, he would make the lights a little bit dimmer. A little bit dimmer, and a little bit dimmer. She would come home, and he would say, she would say, man, the lights look dimmer. And he goes, you're crazy. Nothing wrong with those lights. They look the same way they did yesterday. Next day, they'd be a little dimmer, and he'd say, you're crazy. Nothing wrong with those lights. A narcissist will make you feel crazy. Man, I'm doing better. Well, not quite. Crazy. You understand, this is a problem. It's a lack of humility that would make a person be cruel like that. Let me give you one final one I'm going to close on here. And really a very important one to deal with this issue. It's called the narcissistic wound. 
That means I've built such a structure around me. If I were to go into counseling with a couple and one is a narcissist, the one will, will, I will be able to counsel with as often probably as I want to. But the minute I try to say, you need to change, they'll bite my hand. It's called the narcissistic wound. Because I've spent my whole life building this structure around me. Because I've done this my whole life. You Don't touch my structure. Don't you dare tear it down. Don't you dare insult me. Don't you dare say I'm anything but perfect. Don't you dare say that my rules aren't good. Don't you dare do that. Don't touch what I built here. And boy, if you touch it, they will bite me every time on the finger because I touched something there. I can't tell you how many times I've wounded narcissists over the years. Here's one thing that a narcissist does not like. If you're in, the, in a relationship with a narcissist, if you, are, um, uh, if you are assertive in your behavior, they don't like that. They would rather you were aggressive because they like the fight and they like you coming unglued. But if you were to walk to a, a narcissist and say, hey, I really appreciate, I'm very respectful of your opinion, but I'm going to live my life the way I feel like is the right way to live it. They don't like assertive. So if somebody's in the church and they're like that and they're like, man, i got ideals for this church, I've got plans for this church, and they come up to me and they try to put me with the manipulation. See, here's the thing. Another part of the symptom that I didn't read is they like to play the victim. You're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing that. Don't call them a victim. It'll be a wound to them. But they always like to think that your behavior is destroying their life. And if I come in and they say, well, man, you know, I got a vision for this church. I want this church to do this. I want the church to do that. And I say, man, I really appreciate your opinion, but I'm not moved. And I'm going to do it this way. Or if um, um, a narcissist comes in and, and uh, they just don't like when you stand up and you have your own opinion and your own way that you're going to do it and, and, and to be assertive, it drives them crazy. And this narcissistic wound, if I touch these areas, they won't even show up. They'll be angry. They'll walk away. They won't do counseling. Do you understand? It's the most difficult. In fact, the studies show they almost never will go to a counselor. They don't ever believe they need it. I'm one of the ones, in fact, they'll say this. I'm one of the ones that will never need counseling. I don't need any help. Really, spend all your time on this person. They're really messed up. I'm just telling you, I don't, if you're living under that oppression, you're shaking your head this whole mess, and you're like, man, I've lived with that. I understand it. I understand. And God wants to give help to the person who's narcissistic. He wants to crush that pride. He wants to take somebody like me. You know what? A narcissist knows a narcissist. How do I minister to a narcissist? I know him. I know him. I know how to crush him. Because I've been crushed. If God wouldn't crush me, you wouldn't be able to even fit me in this room. And my head would be so big, I wouldn't fit in the room. I wouldn't be able to minister. I wouldn't be able to care about people. But God had to crush me. God had to do that. You say, well, why does God do this to me? He has to do that. 
has no choice but to crush you because of the pride that's in your life. He wants to minister to your family. If you're living under a you might need help to get through this. You might need to learn how to not be crushed every time you walk in the doors, how to have your dreams crushed, how to live without... Um, there's this whole, um, I call it narcissistic endeavors. Narcissistic endeavors. In fact, i got a list of them, that, that, kind of some of the endeavors. Charity, vision, devotions, prayer, attendance. Narcissistic endeavors. I have the greatest vision for the church. This is what church narcissists do. Man, I don't care how it affects the whole church. I just want everybody to see I'm a pastor. Do you understand that's a narcissist? Sometimes there's vision, and it addresses the needs of the people, and we're going in a good direction. But sometimes all that is just to feed a narcissist. Do you understand? Sometimes my attendance at church is not because I love the Lord. It's that I'm the best narcissist. I'm the most proud person, and because I'm always there and everybody else isn't, it has nothing to do with God. Narcissistic endeavors, you can find yourself on a narcissistic endeavor. Maybe it's your own, or maybe it's something that's been put in your heart, and God just wants you to love Him. You know, God wants you to just love Him. God, I'm not chasing things, I'm not chasing the wind. You know, you know uh, Solomon was one that really, <laughs> he was a narcissist of narcissists. And he said, chasing the wind. And you know, we can spend our whole life chasing it. We can spend our whole life chasing things that somebody put on us or something we put on ourselves. And God says, no, be light. Watch me. I'm humble. I'm gentle. Remember last week? Watch me. My burden's light. I'm humble. I'm gentle. God doesn't chase. Jesus didn't chase the wind. You know, he did things because he loved God, because he loved people. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that this message, Lord God, would meet needs, Lord. Lord, that it would, uh, you said that you would, uh, Lord, you would give us a word that would separate the heart, Lord God, that it would go directly to the heart. Lord, it would deal with issues that aren't often opened up, Lord God. You said they would know of a surety that it was of God, Lord. Lord, I just find, pray that this would find a place, Lord God, that we'd reevaluate, Lord God, our behavior. Lord, I believe so many just didn't intend to behave in a way that's proud, Lord. But I, I pray, Lord God, that you would help us with it, Lord. That you'd give us a sensitivity to everybody that's around us, Lord God, that our love for people would grow, Lord God, and that you would just crush this within everybody that's here, Lord God. A pride, Lord God, that's not healthy, Lord. Crush it today, Lord God. Churches, your eyes are closed. Just stand with me this morning. I'm going to say this. Just don't be proud this morning. You say proud, what do you mean? I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to find an altar. Maybe it's your seat. Maybe it's up here. For once in your life, don't do it because everybody's looking. Don't do it because everybody might think, oh, he's a great person or she's a great person. Do it because you love God and you love people. I don't want to hurt people. I want to love people. I don't want anything to hold me back. 
find a place and just find a place with the Lord. If you need prayer, I'll pray with you. But just ask God to look into your heart and say, God, is there any of this in me? Praise the Lord. about here. You're not a bad person if you're narcissistic. You're just a human being. And God is working on all of us, okay? God's putting the spotlight on every part of us. Judgment starts in the house of God. I've got to change. You've got to change. All of us have to change when the Spirit of God points something out. Because God wants us to be healthy. God wants our relationships to be healthy. God loves us. That's why He would deliver a message like this. He don't want weight to be on us. It doesn't need to be there. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray for this church, Lord God. I love your church, Lord. Father, I just pray that you would humble us. Lord, that when we look down, Lord God, it's not our reflection that we seek, Lord God. It's not our image that we want to reproduce, Lord God. You said to look into the Word of God like a mirror and see your reflection, Lord. That's what we want to be like, Lord. We want to be like you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for this church that you would uh, not only give them the hearing of this Word, but give them the power. Lord God, the power that changes, Lord God. Do it today, Lord God. Thank you. In your name we pray.